you and I, if we are Christians, can have a really wonderful influence on those who are still outside the faith, those who have not yet come to Christ. If we, uh, when we trust in Christ, set out to live our life for our Savior, and as we continue in that path, in spite of our many failures, for we all sin, and yet we, as we repent and move forward, we, well, we, by the way we live, open the door, hold that door open, and invite others into the kingdom by the way we live our lives. We can, however, have the opposite effect. We can, if we're not careful, if we lose sight of who we really are, we can get in the way of those who are coming toward God, even those who we really want to come to faith. The way we live then becomes a kind of an obstacle, hindering those who are still on the outside. And I think the very thought of that is a sobering thing. But there really is no way around it. Either we are helping or hindering, by the way we live our lives, those who are still on the outside whom God is calling into his kingdom. Apostle Paul knew that. He knew that truth, and he applied it to the specific situation that he was facing as he wrote to the Roman church. And what he said to them can be a real help to us as we make our way through our world today. So I'm going to invite you to join me once again in the book of Romans, where we are in uh, chapter 11, verses uh, 13 through 24. Now, it's been a couple of weeks since we were here in Romans. And the last time we were here, you might remember, we learned that a kind of a great reversal had come about. God had brought that reversal about. In the past, he had used the nation of Israel as his instrument to reach the rest of the world. Now, however, because of their unbelief, God has uh, changed the way he's doing things. He's using the church now to bring his truth to those on the outside. And yet God has not abandoned Israel. It was and is part of God's plan to use this reversal. The fact that his kingdom is now advancing through the church to prod Israel, to shake them, and to wake them up. The believers in Rome were to be part of that wake-up call. But there was a problem. Somehow, the Gentile believers, at least some of them, began to look down on the Jewish people, even those who had come to faith. And Paul understood that kind of thing would get in the way of his fellow Jews, keeping them from coming to Christ. That kind of attitude would hinder anyone, really making it harder for them to come to our Lord and Savior. And so Paul, being Paul, addressed this sin in the Gentile believers, beginning in verse 13. Paul says, I am talking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm going to stop right there. Paul 
Jew that he was was called by God specifically to minister to the Gentiles. He, he never hesitated to tell the truth to his Jewish kinfolk, and for a, at least a good period of his life, he spent his time going first to the synagogue of the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But he knew without any doubt that God had given him a very special task of helping the non-Jew come to the faith and once in the faith to learn how to live it out. So Paul was faithful to serve the Gentiles. But he also knew that God intended to use those same Gentile believers as we have already said to prod the Jews. And so again in verse 13 and following, I'm talking to you Gentiles as much as and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry or maybe a better translation is I make much of that ministry in hope that in that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. You see, it's the faith and the life of the Gentile believers as they walk with God which will arouse the unbelieving Jew and draw them to Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, I don't think any one of us would find fault with Paul because he wants his fellow countrymen to come to faith. We want that ourselves, don't we? Uh, but you really can't find fault with it because it is, after all, God's plan. It's laid out here in the Scripture. But somehow, though, the Roman church was missing that. So Paul puts this reversal which has occurred into the larger context of God's plan by telling the people in Rome, two things. First, when Israel as a nation finally gets it, when Israel as a nation finally gets it, when they finally come to Christ, it will mean blessings for everyone. So verse 15, for if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? I want you to understand something here. The book of Hebrews tells us something that we wouldn't have known without it telling us. But it tells us that the Old Testament saints could not inherit the fullness of the promises without us, without the Christian. But what we here learn is that we will not reach completion until the Jews, as a nation, put their trust in Christ. Now, in the meantime, many of them will come to faith because of the faithful witness of Gentile believers. The second thing that Paul does to put this reversal into its real context is to tell us that God's acceptance of Israel in the past made the way for our acceptance. Verse 16, says this, if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And I'm going to stop right there. There's a bit of explanation needs to go along with this. You see, in the Old Testament, at harvest time, the Jews would take a portion of that harvest, the crop, and uh, they would take it and give it to God as an offering. That was called the first fruits. 
And God's acceptance of that offering made it holy. But the acceptance made the whole harvest holy. Not just that offering that was taken to the temple and given to God, but the entire harvest, the greater harvest to come, was also holy to God. So his acceptance of them made them holy. His acceptance of the nation of Israel made them holy. So the entire harvest, which now includes us, the Gentile believers, the church, we are holy and we're blessed by God because of that. Not to tell you that this is not something that we would readily figure out ourselves. This is kind of what you might call a God's eye view of the interplay or the relationship between the Old Testament chosen people and the new chosen people of God, the Church of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul isn't finished with this topic, of course, and uh, and what he does next is he kind of changes his illustration. He uses something that Gentiles might better understand in this reference to the Old Testament. And, and, and he uses this uh, change, this new kind of illustration, so he can further his reasoning with the Romans. So at the end of verse 16, he says, If the root is holy, so are the branches. Yeah, it's the same basic idea there, isn't it? Paul now is going to expand on holy than the branches are. If what began with was holy, then what rose from it is holy. But before we can go any further, we need to take a moment to see where we've been and what this might mean to us. See, there's been this great reversal. God's now using the church to reach the world instead of Israel. But it's also God is using the church to reach Israel. Paul wants that Roman church to get on board with that part of God's plan. Reality was, at that time, the Jewish people were the hardest people to reach. The Gentiles, once the faith entered their culture, it, it could spread like wildfire. There was nothing to keep it from spreading. So the Jews, however, were resistant thing that would reach them was the Christian life well lived. I'm going to ask you something. Think about our day. Who, who do you think were the hardest people to reach for Christ? Is it the Roman Catholics? Not, not that many of the Catholics aren't believing Catholics. There are. There are many who have put their faith in Christ. But there are many who have put their trust church instead of where it really belongs in Christ, aren't they hard to reach? What, what about Muslims? Or the Jews still, are they hard to reach? Or how about something closer uh, to home and heart? How about our own family? I mean, we so much want them to come to Christ, don't we? Like Paul wanted his countrymen to be saved. And yet we seem so powerless. We feel the truth of Jesus' words, don't we? When he said a prophet has no honor in his or her own home. The thing that reaches those who are hard to reach is a Christian life well lived. As we live out our faith, it matters to those who are around us. That's what Paul is 
things which are keeping them from living that life that attracts others to Christ, things which hindered them and so made them a hindrance. The same kinds of things which can get in our way, keeping us from a productive life. And the first uh, uh, one of those things Paul mentions is, is a sinful human tendency to look down on those who are not part of our circle. So would you look with me, please, at verse 17 in the first part of 18. If some of the branches have been broken off, and Paul's here referring to the Jews and you, that is the Gentile believer, though a wild olive shoot had been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. Am I going to stop right there? You know, it was easy. Indeed, it was natural for the Roman church, because of their sinful nature, that same nature that we have, to look down on the Jews. Now, I have to tell you, I know there are other forces at work in our world, forces which seek to turn people towards hating the Jew. And we're we're not going to get into that today, other than to note that the enemy of our faith always seeks to destroy the people. But quite apart from that, part of the, the twist that sin put in our soul is this tendency to look down on people outside of our circle. And that's something that you and I have to guard against. I know you're not any different than I am. I know if you're living breathing, if you're awake, you're struggling what I'm talking about. And if we're not on our guard, guard, we will even look down on other Christians who think somewhat differently than we do about, say, the church or about some point of doctrine. That's the extent of that particular twist which sin has put into our soul. Now, the antidote to this uh, twist, which Paul offers in Romans will when understood correctly, help us also. And it's found at the end of verse 18. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. So what that meant for the Romans was that there was a need for them to understand that they were standing on the shoulders of the Jews who went before before them. You see, it was the believing Jews who had the Word of God and who had all his or her life studying that Word and had known how God would act in the world, both his discipline and in his grace and mercy. And see, they came to faith mature, or or at the very least, much further down the road than a Gentile could begin the journey. And, And they were able to pass on that understanding to the Gentiles. So the Gentile began the journey further down the road than the Jew did when God first called them. See, the Gentiles stood on the shoulders of the Jews. And what that means to you and I is that we stand on the shoulders of believing Gentiles who came before us and who themselves stood on the shoulders. We didn't get where we 
but they were broken off by un, because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. You see, arrogance goes beyond looking down on others. Arrogance is when you begin to think that you somehow deserve to be where you are. That's a deadness, and it's dangerous, and it needs to be guarded against all at all times and at whatever cost to any sense of our self-worth. You know, you can almost picture a kind of seesaw here in this text. See, when when you're balanced, you look across that seesaw and you see someone very much like yourself. But if you begin to look down on that person, if you begin to push them down, there's a resultant move on the other side, the other end of that seesaw, where we end up exalting ourselves. It's not quite proportional, you understand. There's a kind of some flexibility in that particular seesaw, that board on that seesaw. But the resulting movement of looking down on others eventually makes us begin to be arrogant and think more highly of ourselves less some kind of direction is made. Now, the, arrogant, uh, the antidote to the arrogance, uh, because of our sinful nature we struggle with, uh, really is twofold. Paul says to the Romans, again back in verse 20 and 21, granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So that twofold antidote to arrogance is, first, we have to remember that we stand only by faith. It's not our inherent goodness or our works or our church membership or our baptism or anything else about us that allows us to stand in the grace we stand in. We are here only because we have trusted in what Christ has done for us. We have no right to look down on others. And arrogance means we're trusting in ourselves rather than in our Savior. And when we do that, we have really stepped outside of God's grace. And there is a place for healthy fear in our life. It, 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 it is right to be afraid of what God will do if we are arrogant or deliberately keep on sinning arrogantly in some other area of our life. Paul tells Romans that if God didn't despair his chosen people, don't make the mistake of thinking he'll spare you as that you merit something more. You see, you and I, if we put our trust in Christ, you and I have gotten where we are because others have blazed a trail that we can We merit nothing. We stand by faith and faith only. And it is a healthy fear to realize that our God is serious about the sin in our lives. He will do what he needs to in order to now. But when we live Christian life well, what we do is we hold open that door for others so that they can come. 
tells us to consider how God works in the world, both his kindness and sternness. And so we reconsider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell. But kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. But I have to tell you, I don't know exactly what Paul means here when he warns that we may cut be cut off. And that cutting off only happens if we don't continue in the kindness of God. Maybe what it means is that if we don't keep walking with him, we get set on a shelf unused and wrapped up in the small package of ourselves. But maybe it means that we were never really in the faith to begin with since we are not persevering. But I do know this much. Whichever it means, and whatever it means, it's not a good place to be. You see, God is stern to those who fall, but he is kind to those who walk by faith. And so we need to continue in his kindness. And how do we do that? Well, we got here by grace through faith. And so we continue in his kindness by continuing in his grace by walking in faith, by trusting God and believing that he is working in our world. If I were to sit down and ask you, and you were to answer me honestly, would you say you believe God is And that brings us to this next truth that builds uh, on these other truths. And that is we need to believe that God is at work in our world, drawing people to himself. For, for the Romans, the immediate application was concerning their attitude to the Jews. So verses 23 and 24. And if they, that is the Jews, do not persist in their own belief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in and he goes on, this Paul goes on to say, after all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that's wild by nature and contrary to nature and grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted in to their own olive tree? You see, in other words, there's no reason that the Jew cannot become a part of what God is doing in our world today. He or she comes prepped. <laughs> so to speak. They have all the raw material because what God has already done in their culture to come to the faith well down the road, if only they will come to Christ. For us, for us, we need to believe that God is still business of saving people. Now, if we don't believe that, and, and no, it's not enough for me to put it that way. We, we need to do more than that. We need to embrace that truth. If we don't believe it, if we don't embrace it, it's a sure bet that we're not going to act on it. But God is at work in our world. He is still in the business of saving people. Though we must not look down on others. That's not enough. It's not enough not to be arrogant, though arrogance is, of course, a great sin in We need to understand that God is at work in our world and in our lives, and 
we continue in his kindness by his grace and his faith in him. And we need to believe that he's still in the business of saving people and bringing them into his kingdom. You and I got where we are because others blazed the trail which we can follow. We merit nothing. We stand by faith and faith only. It is a healthy fear to realize that God is serious about our sin. And he will do what he needs to do in order to root it out. But when we live the Christian life well, we hold open the door. We invite others to come into the kingdom of the living God. The way we live becomes a living invitation to those on the outside. It says to them, come inside, out of the dark, come into the light. It says, come inside, be part of what God is doing, and don't be left out. When you live the life God has called you, that's what your life says. I want to leave you with uh, just a reminder, or maybe for some of you, I don't know, maybe this is be a kind of a new piece of information, not all of it, but some of it. See, our nation is, first off, a nation which was shaped by Christian principles, and those principles were enshrined in our founding documents. I have to say, and I think that you would agree with this, is that's a pretty good start, but it requires diligence and even sacrifice to keep what God has entrusted to us. But our nation is also a nation which has been shaped by the living God as he has sent revivals upon our land at different points in our history. Our, our country uh, turns away from God. It happened in the past. Those revivals brought us back to him. And it wasn't just that the churches were filled. Oh, they were. But the whole society changed from the inside out. If you ever read about that, you find that in towns where there was only one church and a bar on every corner, bars began to close and convert to churches. The very language of the people they spoke day in and day out was changed cleansed of its profanity. Families were valued above earning a living or any other endeavor, while honesty and integrity became a kind of a hallmark of business dealings. The handshake meant something again. It isn't that we as Americans are better than any other people in the face of the earth. We're blessed by God because we have trusted in God. We have turned to God over and over again as a nation, and God blesses us time and time again. And God is still in the business of saving people. He's still at work in our lives and the lives of people around us. And as I stand here, 
never know.